Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Jason Tom talks about user experience, design thinking, professional and technical communication, community-based service learning activities, and multimodal social justice advocacy projects. Dr. Jason Tom is a faculty member in the Technical Communication and Rhetoric Program in the Department of English at Texas Tech University. He is interested in design thinking practices in technical and professional communication. He teaches courses in user experience research, information design, instructional design, and digital rhetorics. He currently serves as an associate editor for IEEE Transactions on Professional Communication and book review editor for Composition Studies. He is also vice president of the Council for Programs in Technical and Scientific Communication. He can be reached at jason.tom, that's T-H-A-M, at T-T-U E-D-U. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. You study rhetoric and technical and professional communication. Can you talk more about your research on user experience and design thinking? Yeah, I want to say this journey probably started when I was dissertating. I stumbled upon design thinking as a concept, uh, as a methodology, um, when I was looking at um, back in the time when it was really popular at universities, uh, maybe at some university today too, um, the idea of academic making um, that, you know, with the rise of like 3D printing technologies and laser cutting and all of these things, fancy stuff that universities were able to find money to buy uh, for their uh, studios and workshops. I brought my technical writing students in uh, and using some of these uh, tools to kind of rethink how uh, how we built different documents uh, from a 3D material kind of perspective and have students think about the affordances and limitations of different design approaches and the materials that are involved in design, uh, including the tools. So, so when I was exposed to it, I thought it was pretty neat that it is not just a workflow. Design thinking is not just a prescribed way of doing things. It's a mindset. Uh, it has a set of values and guiding principles. It really um, zeroes in the, on the idea of empathy. So I like that um, as a um, competency to build in students that we're not just teaching them to be like efficient writers and um, critical thinkers, but also to be able to have the capacity to empathize right with others, uh, to feel others and to be able to take actions. Um, empathy is not just sympathy, right? It's not just having a passive uh, sort of feeling for someone, but rather um, being able to participate in that shared experience and to take actions uh, to help make this war a better place, right? Um, even though it sounds a little cliche. Um, but that's what I, I hope my students can do uh, by taking up design thinking as a framework. So, so since my dissertation, then I have continued to look into it because I realized there is a space. I don't want to say there is a gap, but there is a space and opportunity um, in technical communication scholarship to learn from design thinking uh, literature. So I uh, so just sort of devoted myself into learning more from design studies, from architecture, from engineering, from software development um, to kind of borrow from their ideas of design thinking, how they have been applied and adopted into the different professions. And I now put on my technical communicator hat and see where um, design thinking could take us. Um, so I wrote the book, Design Thinking and Technical Communication to kind of showcase some of the um, academic maker spaces that I visited when I was doing my dissertation, but also some new chapters on uh, pedagogical um, applications and implications 
of design thinking, hope, hoping to give um, readers some ideas on how they can also adapt this for their own courses. I think it is a very flexible framework. Um, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have a prescribed uh, workflow. So you can take it and scale it however you want. I have used design thinking for one particular assignment, one unit. I've also used it as a semester long project uh, for students uh, in, the, in the form of a design challenge uh, project. So it can be scaled uh, depending on the needs of the instructor and the students and the course. Um, and now I'm doing research uh, in tandem with user experience. Uh, there's a book that will be coming out called User Experience Writing. Um, it's a way of looking at uh, using design thinking as the foundation, uh, but looking at um, writing as design and design as writing. Um, so the rhetorical aspects of that activity and also the genre, the, um, the practice in workplace and what are some of the skill sets that we need to um, instill in students in order for them to venture into UX writing, uh, to become a UX writer as a career. Um, and I'm very hopeful about that direction. Uh, I'm seeing a rise in um, that trajectory that uh, a lot of companies outside of tech, actually, um, technology, they are uh, really looking into the quality of content, the, the experience of um, their consumers and users on various interfaces, right? From websites to uh, screen-based mobile uh, wearables, as well as voice um, interaction um, interfaces. And now we're talking about AI, you know, there's so much that, that has come up in the last two years or so that I think um, has definitely taught uh, different companies the importance of high quality content and, and good user experience. Jason, can you talk about how this work informs your teaching? How do you approach teaching technical and professional communication at Texas Tech through a UX or design thinking framework? Um, I'll start with the global stuff. So I think um, design thinking gives me this sort of guiding principle that um, you have to understand people as people um, and that users are not just a population of, you know, individuals who are you know doing things with technology but rather they're human beings and they have um human needs um and people form communities and different communities have different struggles and different challenges so with that mindset i think in my own pedagogy and teaching i first apply this you know um this aspect of design thinking to understand my students as people in the classroom and online um, where they're coming from, what their uh, hopes, aspirations, motivations are, as well as their fear, right, in, in taking courses. Um, and particularly, I'm teaching, like, uh, junior and se senior level courses. So some of these students are being exposed to very specific topics for the first time. Some of them have never heard about user experience research. I mean, they know what usability might be, um, some of the methods um, that they might have been introduced to in their intro to te technical and professional writing courses. Um, but once they get into the, uh, the higher level, more specific courses, you know, they might be afraid of having to go out there and do proper like uh, studies and site visits and things like that. Um, so me, Coming from an empathy kind of standpoint, I want to know what they feel and I want to uh, investigate that before I even teach them, you know, uh, the subject matter. Um, 
And I do that by either having conversations with them or um, inviting them to let me know at any point of the semester or the course, you know, there any confusion or anything that I can do to help them have a better experience in the course. I think of, you know, teaching and learning as more than just learning new content, but rather I think it's a, it's a whole experience, right? It's wholesome. Um, so my interaction with them, I think, counts just as much as the the content that they are getting from from the course. So that's one way I think globally how design thinking has kind of influenced my approaches. Um, but in a more specific way, I think uh, comes down to like the activities, the, the assignments that the students would do to help them practice design thinking themselves. Um, so some of the very typical like user experience methods are. Um, like con uh, contextual inquiry where um, the students would go pick a site and they would uh, be a participant observer. They would do interviews. Um, they would talk to people on very genuine sort of uh, level, understanding them in the context in which um, a product or service is used um, so they can see the struggles and the, the needs and the requirements of those users again as humans as human beings and, and communities and not just subjects um and then there are other sort of design methods that we use like um ideation and prototyping testing um i think those are very um useful way to help students think through um like how to come up with radical ideas right and radical broadly defined it can be just genuinely creative or it can be a you know, something that is just an improved version of the current solution. Um, and again, think of prompts as opportunities for innovation and uh, and to encourage them to actually innovate. I think a lot of students too are um, feeling that they're inadequate uh, or they're not in the right space to be the authority in, in design and in, in having an opinion about design. So I want to encourage them and give them that confidence that yes, you can, you you are creative, like you just, um, someone needs to let you do it, right? And I want to be that person to offer that space uh, to them. And design thinking, again, offers a sets of like methods and techniques where they can apply to, to encourage that sort of uh, creativity and innovation. Jason, you co-direct the UX lab at Texas Tech. What kinds of projects and initiatives are you doing through this lab? So I stepped in as a co-director with uh, another colleague who was also new to Texas Tech. Um, we entered at the same time in 2019. Um, so with him, we we sort of envisioned the lab to be uh, both a teaching but also a research space. So anyone can use it to conduct like projects. We have some software applications and set up in the lab that allows for different kinds of research activities, but it can also be a teaching space where we can demonstrate like uh, how, you know, for example, a usability test protocol is, it's run. So students can literally observe in real life um, the, the actions involved in that sort of activity. Um, we currently do not have a lot of uh, big projects going on other than these kind of local, you know, instructor to instructor kind of um, teaching and learning activities, um, partly because of COVID, right? Um, uh, and this kind of lab space really require in-person interaction um, for, for its, you know, uh, potential to be realized, right? Um, but we are 
we are innovating. I think uh, we are seeing it as a uh, an opportunity for us to think about the future of uh, user experience research. Does it have to be, you know, physical, right? Do we need to be in presence? Or um, there are a lot of other tools. I mean, right now, virtually, that you could also conduct user experience uh, research. So question is, what what are the gives and takes, right? Like um, pros and cons of doing a, 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 a distance uh, moderated or unmoderated study, um, you know, what are some of the costs involved? Um, you know, what kind of expertise or skills do we need in order to run those tests? So some of those questions we're thinking about that uh, right now. Uh, last fall, we did a, a World Usability Day observation or celebration, I guess, um, in the lab. And that sort of brought people in to kind of see it as well. Um, if you Think about traditional UX lab. It's designed to be like a two-room kind of setup where there's a one-way mirror. So a lot of students get excited about that. They have never seen a one-way one-way mirror before. Um, so so that's one selling point typically to just kind of get people in, right? To get uh, traffic in, into the lab um, and and exposure. And then students now can think about that. Okay, maybe I can um, design and and actually carry out a study using this space that's available to me. Um, Let's see, we're also using it to promote a uh, user experience design certificate that we've just launched. Um, it's gaining traction very quickly here. So that's also an indication of the popularity of UX in the field uh, among technical communication students that they really wanna know like what UX is and and have that uh, credential to, to, to use at the workplace and to be, um, you know, to be capable of, of doing UX work. So, so that's what the lab is so far. Um, the building is also under uh, schedule construction right now. So I'm glad that you, you can't hear any noise out there, but um, because I'm on the third floor, they're starting on the first floor. Um, and they are also going to revamp some of the facilities, including the UX lab. So I'm excited to see what, what they put in there. This is off script, but I'm, I'm interested in hearing what your two minute pitch is to someone who's interested in majoring or pursuing a graduate degree in professional and technical communication? I would say, that's a great question, by the way. Um, I would say to uh, someone who is even just remotely interested in technical and professional communication, first, I will caveat it with my own background and training comes from the North American tradition of rhetoric and uh, communication uh, and writing. So if you come from a different place, say uh, a European background or or Southeast Asian like myself, you know, I was surprised to learn that the rhetorical tradition that is so rooted in um, composition and, and technical communication here. Um, but I would let the student know that this is where we'll be coming from. Um, the, the theories and uh, concepts that we use to describe or to understand uh, the practice of technical and professional communication. But um, I think it is a very um, fast-growing field, um, both in academia and in industry, and that because it is so wide and flexible, and there's really no job that is called technical communicator. Um, technical communication, I think, is a practice, um, but in the field or in industry, uh, you're probably given different titles that are more descriptive, like a UX writer, right? Or a communication specialist, 
right? Or social media manager, right? Those are all sort of uh, included in the practice of technical communication or professional communication, but no one is really a professional communicator, right? Um, so, so I want to tell that student that, you know, you have a lot of different uh, ways to so select like what you want to do. Um, and plus it's so driven by technology that it can be, you know, always new, right? So ever since I joined the field as a, as a student, I feel like I've been learning so much every year just with new tools and new platforms and new um, applications that I can use to do my work. Um, it's always just refreshing. So if you're someone who seek that kind of like newness, I think this is the feel for you. This is my last question. I'm interested in hearing more about your two-year study on community-based service learning activities, specifically multimodal social justice advocacy projects. What were the goals of this research and what did you learn from instructors, students, and community members engaged in this work? For sure. Um, so I must mention that this is a work that um, that is done with my colleague, uh, Dr. Jali Jiang. Um, she's now in Pennsylvania uh, with her family. Um, so we were sort of envisioning a project that looks at um, updating um, literature and community engaged learning um, because we see we saw a, a huge like a search uh, near like the early 2000s where everyone was just jumping in and doing community-based projects, especially in technical communication, where a lot of our teaching and learning is so applied, it's so contextual that it makes sense to just have a community partnership, right? It gives students that quote unquote real world exposure to um, where technical communication takes place, right? And see it in action. So. Um, but then we started to notice like a decline in like scholarship, not to say that people are not still practicing it. We're just not talking much about it anymore, like in, in theory and, and, and in scholarship. So um, we wanted to at least uh, revive some of the conversation. We brought in some older scholarship, like older as in like from the 2000s um, to kind of uh, look at here are some of the approaches, right? Here are some like lens through which we have seen community-based work. Um, there's like labor-based, there's a... Uh, sort of actor network theory or, you know. Um, so my colleague, uh, Dr. Jiang, was very interested in a post-humanist uh, perspective and materialism. Um, and, and given our own background and interest in social justice, we were trying to just think, what were some of the, what would be some of the overlaps here? Like if we apply a post-human lens to look at community service learning, right? What would that look like? Um, what about materialism, right? So that sort of led us into investigating different layers of um, uh, labor that is involved in creating, sustaining um, community-based learning. So we interviewed instructors, students, and also community partners. I guess we do have to give a shout out to NCTE4C for funding us uh, to do this. The money was really spent just giving back to the community um, to thank them for the work that they have done and to also give us information, insights, right, about their experience. Uh, we did write up an article that has been published in the uh, Journal of Technical Writing and Communication on the uh, instructor site. So we, we summarized some of these insights from instructors and we learned that um, there are different constraints that comes from logistics 
that comes from institutional like systems that has limited like uh, what these community partnerships would look like. Um, and that's not surprising to us. Like we were just, okay, um, the problem is still here, right? 20 years ago, we talked about this and this is still a, a current problem. Okay. Um, but then we realized that um, instructors started talking a lot more about the technologies that facilitates uh, community-based projects, um, whether or not they were like social justice driven. So a lot of them mentioned like, oh, I wanted to do this, but, um, or, and I wanted to do this and this tool allowed me to, right? Uh, and students pick this and that. Um, so it was really interesting to see the kind of technology that was mentioned in facilitating, especially um, during this project, COVID happened. Um, so, uh, so understandably, a lot of technologies, a, a lot of instructors talked about the technologies that facilitated communication um, and relationship between students um, and students and community partners and community partners and the course, right? So, um, so that was one thing. So if you look at it from the post-human perspective, I would say technology as an actor, right, in, in this process and how it actually actively influence the, the shape and the outcome of community partnerships and, and uh, teaching and learning. Um, the second thing that we noticed that was maybe haven't been talked about much yet was the affect um, aspect of um, this kind of projects, community projects. Um, a lot of instructors indicated their own like feelings that are involved in uh, carrying out these um, labor and um, relationship building um, with with the community that I think is worth like attention. Like it's not just a labor of love, but there's also a lot of other feelings that are involved in doing this kind of work. Um, and in that uh, article, we kind of alluded to it at the end and say, um, maybe we need to, as a field, think more about the, the affective nature of um, service learning and social justice work, especially, I want to say, um, it's very involved and it's very taxing sometimes to to individuals and to instructors. So, so I I really applause like the the instructors who are so willing to do this kind of work on a sustained like, um, you know, way. Um, but it's not, it's not always easy and the effort is not always rewarded um, by institutions or by, by the field in general. Thanks, Jason. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.